Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Hey, thanks so much for being with us for the Wednesday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. We have three different stories for you today. We'll let you decide what the first one is. And then we have uh, what we think is a pretty good one. And then what is probably more a relieving one, but also a, uh, a concerning one as well, considering what happened yesterday in Eastern Europe. But Jim, let's start with the big one. We called it the divisive one as we headed into today's conversation because different listeners are going to have different opinions on this one, obviously. Uh, You and I have been fairly clear that we think it's probably time for the Republican Party to head towards a different presidential nominee than Donald Trump, but he's obviously going to be a major figure in this fight for the nomination and possibly beyond. So last night, we knew a big announcement was coming from Mar-a-Lago. We got it, and it's pretty much what we expected it to be. Here it is. In order to make America great and glorious again, I am tonight announcing my candidacy for President of the United States. So there you go. President Trump making it official. I had said uh, the other day that this might be one of the earliest announcements on record, but a longtime friend and avid listener to the show uh, messaged me (laughs) just yesterday saying, that's actually not true. Don't forget about John Delaney, who announced his candidacy for 2020 in the summer of 2017, Jim. So it's not quite historically early, but, uh, you know, in terms of where this puts the race, I don't think it surprises anyone. Is it getting the buzz that a lot of people would have suspected? Not really. And now uh, with how well DeSantis did last week, as opposed to the way that a lot of Trump endorsed candidates in competitive races did, it seems like DeSantis might have the momentum. And we'll talk a little bit more about him in just a second. But uh, it's hard to ignore the fact that Trump is going to be an absolutely central figure in this uh, in this primary. And there's still a pretty solid chance he could be the nominee. First of all, Greg, shame on us for forgetting John Delaney. Of course. No, I'm sure all of our listeners were yelling at their phones and their computers and tablets and whatever else they were listening to this podcast. John Delaney, John Delaney. We see him in our dreams. We spend every day, every day, like, what if John Delaney had been present? And also, who's John Delaney again? Anyway, um, you know, my headline of the jolt is same guy, same stuff, different year. Uh, this is try. I, I think what makes, regardless of your opinion on Trump, let's say you want him to win. Let's say you're, he thinks you're his, he is your guy. Well, we just came off a midterm in which the candidates he endorsed didn't do so well. We just came off a midterm, whereas my colleague Dan McLaughlin points out, in every single exit poll, in every state, including places like Texas, Trump has a higher disapproval rating than approval rating or or higher unfavorable rating than favorable rating. He is the ultimate known quantity. Everybody in America knows exactly what they think of him. He has been front and center in our lives for going on eight years now. Um, I don't think there was really any need for him to announce this early. At minimum, you could wait until January. Um, I think this just reflects Trump's impatience. I think this reflects Trump's boredom. Uh, that he wants to be the center of attention. And maybe he's got some nagging concern about how much Ron DeSantis seems to be building support and getting you know a lot of looks from a lot of Republicans. This was more of the same. Uh, a lot of people, not just the usual suspects, were saying that it was relatively low energy last night. He spoke for 63 minutes, although I saw some people counting 68. I don't know if that's, you know, depending on where you start from when he walks out on the stage or when he leaves or or how it is. But it was a long speech. Fox News cut away the anchors cut away to talk about what he was saying 
while he was still going, the speech was still going on. None of that is good news. In retrospect, it probably would have been better to do this in an arena in a big part of the, you know, some very pro-Trump part of the country rather than to hold it at Mar-a-Lago. I don't think this was a particularly good kickoff. I think it was a bad idea to do it this early. I don't think anybody in America other than Donald Trump wanted to start it this early. But here we are. And I don't know if this, you know, again, I it'll be interesting to see. I, I do think it's kind of funny. Clearly, New York Post is uh, tired of Trump. They have their main headline is about a New York story. And then the bottom of the cover today, it says, Florida man makes announcement, page 36. Absolutely. Did you see what the what the article was? It says, just with just 720 days to go before the next election, a Florida retiree made the surprise announcement Tuesday night that he was running for president. In a move no political pundit saw coming, avid golfer Donald J. Trump kicked things off at Mar-a-Lago, his resort, and classified documents library. Mm. Tr- Trump, famous for gold-plated lobbies and for Firing people on reality television will be 78 in 2024. And then at the very end, it says his qualifications are for office include being calling himself a stable genius. And then at the very bottom, it says he also served as the 45th president. So Rupert Murdoch is very much against Trump. It'll be interesting to see how this plays out on Fox. I don't think that'll necessarily change the way people like Sean Hannity, Tucker Carlson take a look at, at Trump. They've been uh, devotees of him for a very long time. And I should point out that National Review is also out with an editorial from the editor simply with the title of No. And of course, from uh, six, almost seven years ago now, there was the famous editor's uh, editorial against Trump and uh, obviously became the nominee, became the president. And now here we go again. So, Jim, here's the tricky part. Let's say Trump doesn't get the nomination. Let's say it's DeSantis. He's probably the most likely alternative for the nomination. How does a person who defeats Trump keep people who are absolutely dead set loyal to Trump on the team? Because you're going to need those people come November 2024. I think he says, you know, DeSantis will say, I will continue the work that Trump did that I felt benefited the entire country. I, too, am interested in border security. I, too, am interested in keeping our tax code low and simple. I, too, am interested in uh, reducing regulations and uh, part ways government stops Americans from pursuing their dream. I am you know, governor of Florida where woke goes to die. I suspect that appeals to a lot of Trump voters. And he will say that I will stand up for America's interest abroad, but I will not get us involved in long, painful uh, nation building foreign wars. And I think that will appeal to a lot of Trump voters. I think a lot of Trump, like, there, there are some people who it is a cult of personality, but I think people, most people voted for Trump because they liked what he said. They liked what he did and they wanted to see him do what he said he was going to do. And in some areas like the wall, you got improved border security in some areas, but you didn't see it completed quite the way he intended to. And obviously we see, we're still dealing with an issue of illegal immigration. So you know, I think it's doable. Um, I think it, a lot depends on the state of the country and the mood of Republicans come the middle of 2024. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think how that other nominee, and let's just say it's, it would likely be DeSantis, would handle a campaign against Donald Trump. And we'll talk about that in our second martini. In the meantime, uh, whether you were stressed last night, whether you were excited last night, whether you were bored last night, uh, who knows what you consumed. But uh, there's a 100% chance your liver processed out all the garbage, whether it's alcohol or bad foods, whatever it is. When you keep pumping lousy stuff into it, it has to work extra hard. And that's why a lot of us struggle with weight gain and feeling tired all the time. But fortunately, there's a simple, all-natural solution that you can use. It's called liver health formula. 
Liver Health Formula contains 12 powerful botanicals that are clinically proven to recharge and protect your liver at the cellular level. It helps restore your liver's detoxifying abilities. It boosts your energy levels, and it can kick your natural metabolism into high gear. And right now, you can try Liver Health Formula completely risk-free and receive five free gifts when you order today. First, you'll receive a free 30-day supply of nano-powered omega-3. You're also getting four free eBooks to support every aspect of your health and longevity regardless of age. So go to getliverhelp.com martini or call toll-free 800-282-1757 to claim your risk-free supply of Liver Health Formula and all five bonus gifts. One more time, getliverhelp.com slash martini or call 800-282-1757. All right, Jim, on to our second martini now. And uh, as foreshadowed, uh, Ron DeSantis has finally responded to President Trump's posts on social media, uh, talking about how Trump resurrected DeSantis' 2018 gubernatorial campaign from the doldrums to help him become the nominee and then allegedly saved his election victory by sending the FBI down when uh, Democrats were stealing his votes. Uh, A lot of people pointing out that that didn't actually happen. But uh, nonetheless, DeSantis finally responded. He was dealing with a hurricane uh, late last week, so that's why he was uh, not focused on this issue. But the issue came up. He was asked the question, and here's his response. One of the things I've learned, like learned in this job, is... um uh, when you're do when you're leading, when you're getting getting things done, yeah, you take incoming fire. That's just the nature of it. Uh, I roll out of bed in the morning. I've got corporate media outlets that have a spasm just the fact that I'm getting up in the morning, and it's constantly attacking. And this is just what's happened. I don't think any governor got attacked more, particularly by corporate media, than me over my four-year term. And yet, I think what you what you learn is all that's just noise. And really what matters is, are you leading? Are you getting in front of issues? Uh, Are you delivering results for people? And are you standing up for folks? And if you do that, then none of that stuff matters. And and that's what we've done. We focused on results and leadership. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, uh, I would just uh, tell people to go check out the scoreboard from last Tuesday night. And Jim, uh, this is uh, classic Ron DeSantis here because he's addressing the issue without making it personal. Sometimes when he deals with reporters, he'll call them out for their you know, biased uh, perspective and asking the question and, and even the topic that they're bringing up. But when it comes to Trump, he deals in ge- very general terms with the, uh, with the accusation itself and then says what he wants to say, which I think is the smartest way to do this. Because as we found out in 2016, whether it's Ted Cruz talking about New York values or Marco Rubio talking about small hands. When you try to get into the mudslinging with Trump, you're never going to win. So doing this is a pretty effective way of doing it. And like we said just a moment ago, hopefully uh, keeping the people inclined to vote red doing so. You know, there probably is an easy way for DeSantis to handle this, but I think this is probably the best approach so far. Um, Again, this is so early I we just got finished with the midterms. I think Americans are tired of politics and arguments and all that stuff. We're heading towards Thanksgiving, heading into the holiday season. Usually that's kind of a respite from politics. And here we go. Here and you know, it, it, we're we're going through all this again. I think DeSantis is wise to say, until I decide I'm announced, I'm focusing on my job as governor. That's what people elected me to do. And just uh, brush it off, ignore it, laugh it off. I think that's really the really the best approach. Uh, We'll see how it goes, but I think this is probably, uh, there's no advantage to getting into a fight with Trump now, 
And I think Americans may appreciate someone who doesn't want to start the presidential election this very second. No, it's smart to do. And, uh, you know, it's interesting. People say that Ron DeSantis hasn't been tested. Uh, people who are, you know, who don't see him as their first choice. I'm not sure outside of the presidency. I, I'm, saying, I'm not sure outside of the presidency who has been more tested in the last couple of years than Ron DeSantis. But, uh, you know, uh, be, running for office on a national stage is different than anything he's ever done before. But if anybody who hasn't done it before uh, has has taken the blows and, and, and fought back, uh, he would certainly be the guy. All right. On to our uh, third and final martini now, Jim. And yesterday there were a bunch of gulps and oh no's. And that's just the polite language for it uh, across the country and probably around the world. As we heard news that a missile had struck a border town in Poland. Uh, It was believed to be a Russian missile and therefore uh, a NATO country had been hit. What's going to happen here? Is this triggering Article 4 discussion about how to respond as a trigger in Article 5 uh, response in which every member of NATO, uh, you know, takes it upon themselves that they have been attacked because of, of the uh, mutual defense provision within uh, the NATO treaty. So uh, the good news here is that, first of all, President Biden saying that it was a Ukrainian air defense missile that was responsible for the Polish blast. I've seen other uh, places where it's believed to be absolutely accidental if it was a Russian missile. So the sigh of relief is that we're probably not headed towards World War III so far today, Jim, but uh, that was an uneasy moment. But uh, hopefully cooler heads prevail here and uh, we don't see anything more like this that makes more people wonder what the heck is happening. Yeah, I was kind of surprised by the reaction in that first hour or two after the news broke. The number of people on social media and not random weirdos. I mean, people who work in the mainstream media who were acting as if this was a direct Russian attack against NATO. Uh, If Russia chooses to attack NATO, it's not going to fire a missile into some Polish village and kill two people. It's going to be clearer. It's going to be deliberate. We're going to know it. Um, This looked and sounded like from the beginning an erroneous fire. Doesn't mean it's okay. Doesn't mean it's not something to be concerned about. Doesn't mean it's tragic for the people who lost their lives. And it doesn't mean NATO should not respond in any way. But it does indicate that this, you know, should not, this is not the sort of thing you start a shooting war with Russia over. And I expressed that early on. And I pointed out the difference between Article 4, which is basically, well, we feel like we're being threatened. We're meeting with our allies to discuss our next step. Or Article 5, which is we have been attacked. This is an attack on the entire NATO alliance. And we are all going to uh, respond, you know, collectively. This never probably, even at the the most... um, sinister interpretation of what had happened it really didn't look like an article 5 situation it looked like an article 4 and then the evidence suggested okay maybe this is a ukrainian missile parts you know this was not the sort of thing you immediately you know raised it to defcon 1 and got to you know battle stations etc cetera, etc cetera. now is it the sort of thing where we can say to russia you know look you're fighting a little close to our border you keep doing this sort of thing we may respond in some way absolutely i don't think you necessarily ignore it The Polish uh, government has said, look, even if this was a Ukrainian missile part, this is all happening because of Russia's invasion and we hold Russia responsible. Not surprising. This is a good signal for both Russia and Ukraine to be more careful around that border region because that is this is how you you'd end up having these kinds of fights start escalating. We'll see how things shake out. But I, I, you know, think hopefully this is a blip on the radar screen. No pun intended. This doesn't turn into some sort of key turning point that we look back upon huddled around fires in the post-apocalyptic landscape after World War III and say, oh, it all started back then. Having said that, 
there's you know, when you're fighting a war, you have an obligation to try not to spread things over into the border. Ask Cambodia, uh, and you'll. This is how you know wars get wider and become more violent and become more uh, more deadly. So hopefully, this is just a you know a minor uh, unfortunate ex- uh, consequence of war. This doesn't lead to something bigger. I don't think it's going to lead to something bigger. But there's good reason for us to be a little more nervous about the idea of this conflict spilling over territorial borders uh, like we feared it had yesterday. Yeah, I'm glad to see the cooler heads prevailed. Uh, Not the greatest moment for President Zelensky, who immediately talked about uh, being a significant escalation and the need to act and, you know, not acting, uh, you know, just encourages more evil aggression and so forth. So... (laughs) Uh, I, I I don't know what he knew when he said that, but the fact that this now appears to be uh, a Ukrainian defense missile uh, doing this, uh, hopefully it convinces him to take a breath the next time it happens. It's a little bit different when it's your country that's been at war for nine months now, but uh, uh, you, you can't just you can't just tell everybody that this is it. Let's roll uh, without knowing all the facts on the ground. I was going to say I love the people who immediately yesterday said that I was just like Obama ignoring the red lines. Oh, by the way, it's a, it's a Ukrainian missile. Never mind. Okay. <laughs> the memory hole that people like to have is uh, amazing sometimes. But, uh, Jim, uh, let's hope there's no more brink of World War Three today, at least. But I'm sure we'll have something weird to talk about tomorrow. Talk to you then. Probably not World War Three. See you tomorrow, Greg. <laughs> Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Columbus, Radio America. Thanks so much for being with us today. Do subscribe to the podcast if you don't already, and please tell a friend about us. I think they'd really enjoy the podcast too, don't you? Uh, thanks also for your five-star ratings and your kind reviews. Please keep those coming. Get us on your home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch Podcast. Go out and buy Jim's new book, Gathering Five Storms, and the accompanying short story, Saving the Devil. Christmas is just around the corner. Do not delay. Also, follow us on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a great Wednesday, and please join us again on Thursday for the next Three Martini Lunch. This week on the Federalist Radio Hour, when the dust settled back in 2020, it became clear that Hispanics were shifting towards the Republican Party in ways that were not marginal and in ways that were wildly underappreciated by the legacy news media and that were really going to change American politics. I'm Emily Jashinsky of The Federalist. Subscribe to The Federalist on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts.